but it was subtitled The Wellbeing Issue. And the first article was about giving, calling it the most overlooked facet of personal well-being. Believe it or not, giving is linked to our sense of well-being. Now, some time ago, I read a story in the Grapevine magazine about a man, and he had his son with him, and he'd obviously been sent to the supermarket by his wife to do the shopping. He found a trolley, he got the list out, not very happy to be there, and before they started, he whispered to his son, you know, if we really mess this up, we'll never have to do it again. (laughs) Oh dear, Mr. Mean couldn't give up an hour, more or less, of his day, or any day in the future, to help out. And no doubt his attitude to shopping spilled over into other areas of his life. Glad Tark's not like that. The only thing is sending him to the supermarket, he comes back with things that weren't on the list. (laughs) But, you know, worst of all, this father wasn't just selfishly trying to get out of a job. He was also teaching his son to be as mean and as miserable as he was. We've got to watch out for Mr. Mean. You know, I've caught him lurking around in my heart from time to time. Some of you probably have that problem as well. If we want to develop good fruit, and Sam's been teaching us about this, if we want to develop good fruit like giving and generosity, we have to diligently weed out Mr. Mean. And we all know about weeds. You know, if you want to grow weeds, you don't have to do anything. Don't water them, don't give them weed food, nothing. They just grow. They will thrive. But if you want to grow good plants, desirable plants, good fruit, then you have to work at it and water them and look after them and put in a lot of effort. Well, let's come back to our Viva article. It featured an inspiring woman who, featured a chari- who founded a charity called So They Can, which does a great work among communities in African nations where poverty can be so extreme that children in rubbish dumps sometimes have to compete with vultures and pigs. So get that. Kids are fighting off vultures and pigs to pick up scraps of food. And the story looked at, sort of went on then to how um, altruism or doing good releases oxytocins and endorphins in our brain, and these hormones make us feel good. And that brings us back to the thought of giving being the most overlooked facet of personal well-being. Well, this is nothing new. Acts 20 and verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you won't find these words of Jesus in the Gospels. Paul, who had obviously heard them and built his lifestyle around them, quoted them. And Luke wrote them down in the book of Acts just to make sure that they weren't lost. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And I'm sure that both Jesus and Paul were talking about a blessedness that was way beyond that feel-good factor. Now, sure, God has built that in, but there's more to it than that. In giving, we're blessed to do God's will. We're blessed to show the world what God is like. We're blessed to meet other people's needs, and we're blessed to set ourselves up for eternity. Now, if God calls us to do something as big and powerful and life-changing as founding and running a charity like So They Can, okay, we've got to do that, and the, result, the rewards will be great, I'm sure. But, you know, do we have to do that much before we can experience that release of the feel-good hormones? No, we don't. Giving should be a way of life for God's people. Generosity, like just a regular feature of our routine, day-by-day, ho-hum lives. Because we're made in the image of God, of a giving God. Now, we can't all be at the coalface of a great charity doing a great work, but maybe we can be one of the hundreds or thousands of little cogs that keep the whole thing sort of ticking along by regular giving or by prayer or maybe by fixing their computers. Now, I think we'd all agree that it is more blessed to have enough to be able to give or so that we've got something to give rather than to be so poor so that we have to be on the receiving end. We all understand that. But, you know, more blessed to give than to receive? Hmm, sounds beautiful, but do we really believe it? Well, Jesus says, well, really, it's, sorry, missing here. It's the opposite to really how we think. I mean, we like receiving. Receiving is nice. It's fun. It's like birthdays. It's like Christmas. It's good. You know, and sometimes we're actually scared of giving. We're afraid that if we give, we're going to lose. But Jesus says, no, when we give, we gain. Now, he's not denying that it's a blessing to be on the receiving end. And he's not saying that people who receive are not blessed. But he is saying that it's more of a blessing to give than to receive. And maybe one of the reasons that God makes us prosper is not so much to raise our standard of living. Maybe it's to raise our standard of giving. Proverbs 11 and verse 25, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Being blessed by giving is like a paradox, a bit like some of the other things in the Bible that don't make a lot of sense, like going the second mile and loving our enemies. God doesn't say things like this just to make our lives miserable. You know, a lifestyle of generous giving is not about a lifestyle of loss and deprivation. Rather, it's about living life to the max and setting ourselves up for eternity at the same time. Now, there's this story about a sailor who was shipwrecked on an island, and to be honest, I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe not, but I'll tell you anyway. He was seized by natives, and they carried him to their village, and they set him up on this rough throne, and gradually he realized that it was their custom to make someone king for a year. Well, he enjoyed being king, 
But after a while, he got a bit worried about, you know, what had happened to all the other kings at the end of the year. And then he discovered that after the year was up, the king was banished to an island, and there he starved to death. Nasty. But this king was clever, so he got his subject working, his subjects working, and so they, he got them transplanting crops on the island and planting fruit trees and building houses on the island. And so when his year was up, he was banished to an island of abundance. Now that's like our life. For a little while, we can choose what we will do with what we've got. And the best plan is to set ourselves up by sending it ahead. So what resources do we have to be generous with? Well, we've got our money, our time, and our talents, among other things. And, but often when we think about giving, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is our money. And we see from the well-known story about the widow's might that God counts a lot more than just the dollars. Now, um, with this story, God considered the widow's offering of two mites, in other words, next to nothing, as bigger than all the big offerings that the rich people had given because God looks at the heart behind the, the gift as well as the dollars. But this story also tells us that generosity can be costly because this was all that this widow had to live on. So it talks about sacrifice. And of course, we've heard this morning, the greatest act of generosity is seen in the biggest sacrifice that was ever made when God's son Jesus gave his life on the cross for us willingly. And that whole scenario includes the unthinkable pain of God the Father having to watch his son being tortured to death for us. We also need to be generous with words. That's another thing we have. Kind words, sincere compliments, encouragement can literally be life-changing. And a generous person is going to be on the lookout for the good qualities in others so that they can comment on them. Matthew 12, verse 34, For out of the overflow of the heart... The mouth speaks. So generous words begin in a generous and understanding heart that thinks kind thoughts, gives the benefit of the doubt, knows that people can change, believes the best without being gullible, refuses to judge without first getting all the facts, which we're all like. We're all like that, right? Okay. We need God's grace and God's help with, you know, to deal with our tendency to judge and to criticize and all of that. But when it comes to being generous with words, let's not forget about God because God deserves our praise more than anyone else. Now, years ago, I heard this great tip on Radio Rima, which was so helpful to me. And it was like, if you run out of expressions for praise and worship, for singing in the spirit, just get a little notebook or, you know, open a file and go through the Bible, especially the book of Psalms, and write down all the little phrases of worship that sound cool. And, you know, I've got some, there should be some coming up on the screen. You know, my heart rejoices in your salvation. You've been so good to me. I love you, Lord, my strength. You are worthy of praise. I will sing praises to your name. 
and I'm sure you get the idea. I mean, there's just hundreds of them. And just go over those things, you know, over and over and over in your own time and keep going over them and use them. And in the end, you'll have this amazing vocabulary of words and phrases for praise and worship and singing in the spirit. And you can be generous in your words to God. Now, of course, it would be really easy to give time and energy and money if we all had heaps of those things to spare. But most of us are pretty limited with all of those things. And I think the real test of generosity comes when we don't have much, but we give anyway. Who are we going to be generous to? Basically to everyone or to anyone who God would bring across our path. Galatians 6 verse 9 to 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. So the top of the list is family, obviously. The Bible gives the idea that generosity and giving begins with family, then Christian family, and then, you know, out, spreads on out to others. Now, I saw this cartoon, and it featured a pastor and his wife, and the words underneath, the wife was saying, hey, I've got an idea. How about smiling and being nice at home and being a grump at church? You know, isn't it true that sometimes we are most ungenerous to family members? We probably all know people who would do things for someone else that they would not do for family. And honestly, how many of us have been involved in that all-too-common scenario, you know, where someone gets up at a funeral Funerals, we should write a book about the things that are said at funerals. Honestly, somebody should. But anyway, someone gets up at a funeral and they're, they're waxing eloquent about how kind and how generous the deceased person was. And the adult children are sitting along the front row thinking, generous? Who on earth are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, okay. Enough said. And while we're looking at family or thinking about family, you know, as parents, grandparents, let's be generous in our words to kids. And some of you will remember the DVD that we showed here one night called Why, which focused on the development of homosexuality in boys. And just to, to mention again how for fathers especially, be very generous with the three A's. The three A's, affirmation, affection, and attention. So important. We need to be generous with those who have hurt us. And obviously the way, we, the way that we do that is through forgiveness. And the best way is to quickly and fully forgive those who have hurt us. And when we do that, we're demonstrating the generosity of Jesus. That's what the cross was all about. A cruel slave owner had just finished giving his Christian slave a really severe beating. Horrible. 
And he was so angry and he yelled out to the slave, What can your Jesus do for you now? And the battered, bleeding, suffering slave said to him, Master, he can give me the grace to forgive you. That's the spirit of Christ's generosity. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But as I always say, if there's been like a major offence, a whole series of offences, if it's a real big thing, forgiveness can be a process and sometimes we need help with that. Okay, the power of generosity. We know that generosity blesses the person on the receiving end, but how does it bless the giver? Well, we've seen on a natural level that research shows that if we give our time, resources, talents, and so on to help others, we will increase our own well-being. And, uh, I mean, everyone has their issues, but, you know, generous people are often happier, healthier, have better friendships, are more physically fit than ungenerous people. Now, this is all relative. They also tend to be more upbeat about their problems and less likely to experience symptoms of depression and anxiety disorders. Now, note that I said less likely. I'm not saying that if you suffer from those things, you're not generous. On a spiritual level, generosity connects us to the nature of God. We are being God-like. He's the ultimate giver, and we are made in his image. It also has the power to release us from that tight and unhealthy grip of materialism, which is such a biggie in our society today. And it gives us the power to, in, to bless and to invest in the lives of others. So how can we have a life of generosity? Well, just like anything else, um, I'm supposed to have this in my pocket and I didn't turn it on and there we go. Like anything else in the Christian life, we can have a life of generosity by faith and by obedience to God's word. It's that simple, it's that hard. By faith and obedience. In 1 Kings 17, we see the prophet Elijah declaring that God would punish Israel's sin and idolatry by this three years of famine. And for a while, God hid Elijah and provided for him, but then that all dried up. So then God arranged this divine appointment with a Gentile widow. So we are out of Israel now, far away. Now, widows were usually the poorest people anyway back in those days. So they'd be the first to run out of food in a time of famine. And this widow was in dire straits. She had enough food, enough flour, enough oil to get her and her son through one more day and then basically that they were facing starvation. It was that bad. But Elijah turned up and asked for water. Now remember, they're in a severe drought and famine, so even to get water is not that easy. And really, who cares about being nice to strangers when you're going to die? But she kindly went off to find water. And as she did, Elijah called, and please bring me some bread. And we read her answer in 1 Kings 17, verse 12 to 14. 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So that was her situation, just black and white. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. The widow did what Elijah asked. She was extremely generous, handing over their last little bit of food, which shows that you don't have to be rich to be generous. She was as poor as it gets, but she gave what she had. And then God did this amazing miracle, and probably for over two years, that, that flour and that oil never ran out. And I've heard about things like that happening in times of war and stuff like that. I can't think of specifics, but have heard that those kind of things have happened. So how could this widow give her last meal to a stranger? Well, as well as her generous heart, she had great faith. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Now that tells us that she recognized that this stranger was a prophet of God. She had a revelation. And then she believed what he said. She trusted when it made no sense to trust. She believed and then she acted on her belief. She did what he said. And God wants us to get to that place of trust and faith where he can tap us on the shoulder and we will give whatever he is requiring of us. Now, God resupplies. You see, sometimes our big fear is that when we pour out, there'll be nothing left for us. But we don't need to worry because God resupplies just like he did for that widow. And, you know, I'd like to have a, a testimony here myself about giving and God resupplying, but I don't because I don't keep track of my finances. I'm hopeless. To me, <laughs> all the guys just think, aren't you glad that your wife isn't like me? <laughs> to me, money is the most boring thing in the world, and I don't even want to think about it. Now, in saying that, I do get tithing receipts, and I do get receipts from charities where you get something back. And, you know, I don't give away money that's set aside for bills, or I don't give in a way that hurts my family. And things do have to be worked out. You know, if, when it comes to giving beyond tithes and offerings, I think we do need to be led by the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I, I haven't got a testimony because I don't keep track of anything, okay? So there you go. But <laughs> I guess my testimony is this. I've never run out. I've never felt any loss. I've never thought, oops, you know. So that's my testimony. <laughs> It's a bit sloppy like my bookkeeping. 
married to an accountant. <laughs> oh well, you get what you deserve, don't you? Second Corinthians 9 verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God resupplies us so that we can continue to give. A Christian, um, I don't know if he's still alive, but a Christian called um, R.G. Letourno built up a business designing and making that massive earth-moving equipment. By the latter part of his life, he was giving 90% of his income away and living on 10%. And in spite of that, his net worth just kept on growing. And someone asked him, you know, you're giving away 90% of your income and yet you keep getting richer. And his answer is classic. He said, I shovel it out, God shovels it back. (laughs) But God has a bigger shovel. However, we do need to be careful about giving as a financial transaction because it doesn't quite work like that. Now, going on about developing this life of generosity by faith, and of course tithing is a great place to start, and um, one of our people did this by faith, you know, some time ago, a number of years ago, they were going through a really hard time financially and they wanted to tithe and they wanted to make sure that they were going to tithe. So they set up an automatic um, payment, an AP, to do that. I do that. When you're hopeless with money, it's good to do that. Then you don't forget it. But one of the blessings that followed this person was that soon after that was the beginning of the next school year and one of their kids was awarded a scholarship which paid for you know, a lot of expenses, school uniforms, school trips, stationery, laptop, and on and on. And they were just so blessed. They took that step of faith, and God blessed and resupplied. But we don't have to stop at tithing. There's the food bank, there's missions, special offerings, or anything that God would bring to our attention. Matthew six nineteen to 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we see in verse 20, who are we laying up treasure for there? It's not for God, it's not for the church, it's not for the poor, it's not for the lost. It's for ourselves. Jesus teaches that this life is our preparation for eternity. The rich farmer in Luke 12 and verse 20 who built bigger barns to store all his extra crops just completely lost perspective of how short life is. And he is called a fool because he was laying up treasures for himself, but he was storing it in the wrong place. He was storing it on earth, not in heaven. So we should be generous, firstly, because God has been so generous to us. And because we're supposed to be like God, we are like him, we're made in his image. Because the Bible says that our role with all the things that we have is stewardship, 
rather than ownership. And a steward is one who manages or who oversees the property of another. We're stewards of our money, our time, our talents. Because Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And as a church, we're in this new era of momentum, power, encounters, and so on. We're going places in God that seemed inaccessible in the past, but we all need to be on board more and more, using our gifts for the good of all. It takes money, it takes time. You know, time in serving, in prayer, in the word, ministering, however God leads us. But the message this morning is mostly about giving as a pathway to blessing. That's what God laid on my heart. It's more blessed to give than to receive. God doesn't trick us. He doesn't lead us on. He seriously wants us to experience the joy and the happiness and the blessings of giving. But first we've got to get our heads around the truth that giving is not about loss. You know, if we had money in the bank and we took some of that out and put it into a retirement plan or we, you know, made a lump sum off our mortgage or whatever, would we be poorer? No, we wouldn't. It's, it's like we've just taken some money and we've transferred it into a different account. And giving is a bit like transferring assets that are immediately available into an account that is not immediately available but is of value in the future. And I often think about, you know, the boy who gave Jesus his boy-sized lunch of five loaves and two fish. And when he handed his food over, he probably thought he was losing, and he was okay with that. But he didn't know that he was still going to have his lunch, and thousands of others were going to have his lunch as well. And those of you who have boys with hollow legs will realise that this boy probably ended up eating way more than his five loaves and two fish before that day was through. He wasn't poorer through giving. He was richer. And we're not even thinking about heavenly rewards here. So if we think that we're poorer after we press enter on the keypad or send the cheque or give the gift, you know, we're not. It's not like we've lost and someone else has gained. It's not like we're worse off. If we're doing it right, we're richer. We've just stashed away some treasure in heaven. And we just really need to, you know, do things right. I'm not talking about being stupid, but do ourselves a favour and keep an eye on eternity and invest generously as we go through this life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you don't ask us to give and you're mean to us, but you, you are such a giving and generous God. You've given us your very best, your one and only son. You've given us everything, Lord. There is no good thing that you withhold from us. And Lord, just help us to be like you. Lord, not in fear and trepidation, but Lord, in confidence knowing, God, that you just pour back in. We can never outgive you. Help us, Lord, just to have that confidence, that faith, and, Lord, to go on knowing the blessedness of giving and of your faithfulness and love towards us. 
In Jesus' name, amen.